Okay, welcome in. Hey, hey, it's episode number eight of the Canadian Comedy Hall of Fame podcast. Absolutely loaded episode for you today. As you know, the nominees are out. All 35-ish nominees came out last week. Uh, voting starts April 1st, and and the official list of winners will be announced on July 1st. If you want to become a voting member of the Hall of Fame, all you have to do, go to CanadianComedyHall.com, click the donate button, sign up. It's as easy as that. So over the next couple months, we're going to be highlighting the nominees on the podcast. I'm hoping to do an episode that will feature interviews for each nominee. And today we have Keith Johnson. Keith is the founder. He's one of the innovators of improv, and he created the Loose Moose in Calgary. The Loose Moose is this Calgary institution, this theater that has produced some of the biggest comedy talents in Canadian history. And I have two of them for you today. Andrew Fung will be coming up a little later on the show. You know Andrew from Last One Laughing, Run the Burbs, and of course, Kim's Convenience. But first up, I have Norm Hiscock. Norm has won an Emmy for his work on King of the Hill. He's written for shows like Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Parks and Rec, and he's an all-around great dude. I had an awesome time talking to Norm about the Loose Moose, about Keith, about all things Canadian comedy. It was amazing. Here it is, my interview with Norm Hiscock. You won an Emmy for King of the Hill. Does everybody on the writing team get an individual Emmy when you win? No, that's the cruel thing. I think it's just uh, executive producers and or co-executive producers and the writer. Or, or so I wrote the episode. Okay, I, I can't remember if I had what my producer credit was then. So, did so you actually physically have the Emmy though in your possession? Uh, yeah, it's up up there somewhere. Okay, I I can you get keep it, it in your to you later. No, so. no, it's fine. No, that's cool. <laughs> I was just wondering. I like the I like to know where people keep their their awards. Uh, you've written some uniquely Canadian shows like Corner Gas, Kids in the Hall. You've worked on those shows. And then uniquely Americana shows like King of the Hill. Is there a difference for you in writing those? Like as a Canadian, do you find it uh, like easier to write for that Canadian voice? No, I think it's more about just relatability. You know, it's just I think uh, in North America, we share a lot of similar things. So there's certainly for sure different things between Canadians and Americans, but uh, overall, if you're writing, you're just writing for a character. So um, like I, I, I kind of connected with Bobby Hill when I was writing for uh, King of the Hill um, and the relationship between him and his dad. So you just find your way into the show and, um, and, you know, we've all had crazy friends like Hank Hill's had. So it's just, uh, you know, feeling the voice of the show and making and also you learn when you're in the writer's room and you're just listening to other writers chat about the characters uh how they relate to them too you know were you were you on king of the hill from the beginning from the get-go of that show from the second season on how far out do they know a story arc just in general in tv uh, from the pilot episode do they have like a a sense of how you know five seasons down the road what this character will do or is it all kind of organic as it goes it's all it should be organic i think and mm -hmm. it used to be organic on um network shows because you used to do 24 episodes in a season so it's hard to go kind of know <laughs> in the first season what each 20 all 24 episodes are going to do but, uh, and they, 
I think because of streaming, streaming's pushed shows into having more of a an arc. Uh, yeah. And because the 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 there's not as many shows now when you do streaming, there'll be 10 episodes, maybe eight episodes, maybe six. So they kind of push you now to find what are what do you see season one ending? Um, they can ask that question now. I think it's kind of harder back then to go, where do you see season or you know, episode 24 ending? Do individual episodes and make sure you had a funny, good premise and you were exploring the characters. You were four years on SNL, I think. Did you? Three years on SNL. Three, three years on uh, writing on SNL. One of our nominees this year is Phil Hartman for the Hall oh, of Fame. Did, oh, did you overlap much. with Phil at all? Uh, he hosted. Okay. When I was there. Um, he was, uh, he's one of my favorite SNL uh, members, you know. So uh, it was an honor to work with him and write for him. Um, I, I don't know if I got a sketch on that episode or not, but uh, I think one went to dress. So, uh, but he was very friendly, walked up and talked to all the writers and he was so relaxed because he had done the show. Um, so it was- uh, Like the year have... previously he was on the cast, wasn't he? Yes, yeah. Yeah. Um, did he, did you tell him you were Canadian at all? Did, did that come up? Uh, no, it didn't come up. <laughs> it, it was funny, I had, uh, I had Rob Cohen on this on this show um and rob said when he was at snl guest writing he said uh phil came up to him in the washroom and was super excited that he was canadian oh, as they were side cool. by side at the urinal so um, yeah, that's a good spot to sure you're being canadian yeah exactly <laughs> yeah uh yeah you can check on it then too um how did you how'd you find your way to the loose moose uh well i met mark mckinney in newfoundland we were both going in at Memorial University there. And we were at the radio station. We were both DJs. And we both discovered that we loved comedy. And we, I think we started writing bad sketches for the radio station there. And then he moved to Calgary. And then I ended up moving there. And we hooked up again. And then I found out that there was, I always wanted to improvise, but I, I didn't exactly know what it was. And someone um, that I knew said, well, you should check out Loose Moose. So I went down with him, saw it at the university there uh, and uh, really enjoyed it. And then I went back and told Mark and I said, we should check it out, maybe take some improvising classes and form a team. And so that's how I, I found out about Loose Moose. I'm a, I'm a radio guy as well. I, I work yeah, for I thought Media I'd Affairs. be a DJ and spin, you know, all the greatest hits and, yeah. uh, but uh, I ended up, uh, I think I'm more visual in a way anyway. So I ended up writing for TV and took film courses and stuff. When you got into radio, did you think that uh, you'd be picking the music? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think everybody. That, I was that yeah. guy. Yeah, me too. I <laughs> was the same guy. Did you too? Yeah. yeah, of course. I'd be like, oh, yeah. I'd pick my I'll get CD. the program and they'll get yeah. to hear great bands that you can't hear on the radio. And... Exactly. Yeah, I'm going to introduce the world to this band. Yeah. Um, never happened. So where did the Steel Belted Refugee, did I, do I have that right? That was the yeah, name you of got you right. Mark. You and Mark McKinney's improv yes. duo. How how far into it did that come along? Where, where did that come from? So we just, uh, you know, they had, in the old days of Looseness, they had a 10-minute match, a 20-minute match, and then the main match. And uh, because we were a new team, we did the 10 minutes, and then we graduated to the 20, and then we ended up to, on the sort of the bigger matches. So Mark and I were just starting out. We called ourselves the Steel Belt of Refugees. I think I came up with the name. 
everybody else hated the name. They just called us the refugees, which was fine. <laughs> and and uh, so it was just Mark and I, and we had to quickly learn how to be on stage because there's only two of us. And I think because of that pressure, <laughs> what happened was we just sort of were watching the other teams and then we realized, oh, we like that guy and we also like that guy and he has the same sensibility. And then maybe we can grow our team and uh, become a bigger team. Uh, so it's just not Mark and I on, on the stage all the time. And we ended up calling ourselves the audience. So there was a four man team for a while, then it became a five man team. Oh, that's, Bruce, that's awesome. Bruce eventually joined Bruce McCullough. Bruce McCullough, of course. Yeah, from Kids in the Hall. Is that and, kind of where Kids in the Hall started? Is that what like sort the Sort of. I impetus? mean, that's the beginning of them. The, uh, uh, people who were in that audience group, Frank Van Geek and, and uh, Gary Campbell, uh, ended up writing on Kids in the Hall. So, um, yeah, it's all, it was all in the family eventually, you know. That's pretty amazing in itself that all these these guys came out of Calgary in this one troop in theater yeah I mean we had a crazy show we we did this we we were improvising as this five-man group called the audience and I think we were in we kind of were saying do we just keep improvising or shouldn't we be writing sketches or something like that and then improvising and finding out how to do that on stage and this uh, show became available at Loose Moose Theater this hour or two on Saturday nights and we thought, well, we'll take it and we'll do a cabaret show. So we would have a stand up and, and music and uh, write sketches. And so that's how we started, started writing sketches. And uh, Bruce started forming his stand up routines and uh, Frank Van Keeken was a stand up at the time and he would also uh, try out new material. And then I would write crappy sketches and Mark would try out crappy uh, <laughs> uh, characters. So we we're all just learning how to do it on stage in front of a live audience is the best and fastest way to do it. So Keith Johnson uh, is nominated this year for, for the Hall of Fame. Keith's influence on you and Canadian comedy, can, can you speak about that and, and, and what he means to Canadian comedy as a whole? Well, the biggest thing, I mean, for if, if he had the biggest influence in some ways of helping or allowing Mark and Bruce to just find themselves on stage, you know, also for me to try out material and see it bomb in front of an audience is the best way to realize what works and what doesn't work. Um, and also um, because I, it's a different way into improvising the way, the way he teaches it. It's not like Second City, it's not like the Groundlings. Um, so it helped me in terms of being in a writing room and being loose and being open to ideas and uh, not being attached to uh, ideas too you know it was everybody's idea and you could help it grow um the impro si system that that was called like the impro system yes. that he kind of invented what what is the impro system what well, is kind of the gist book. of that i can't remember all the points but it was all uh just um things about uh narrative and uh commitment to a scene and to uh um it's also status and to say yes to everything, because if you say no, it kind of stops a thing moving forward. Um, so, and it was just to be playful, you know, I, I think he, he was very big on imagination and he said that was the real you. So uh, I think that uh, reading his book and it's, his book is very good in that it's 
simple and the best way possible of getting across uh, how to be on stage and how to be how to make it fun. And he had games that he um, developed to help you not try to be funny, you know, and try to uh, be funny organically and not think about being funny, you know. I was looking up a list of the games. Yeah, some of them that I mean, you would see on whose line is it anyways now, you know, like some of them that, that he invented, which was which is super cool. Yeah. Um, is he the most influential person kind of Im- improv as a as an art form? Uh, for me, he is. I mean, I know there's a lot of people that it depends on when you where you um, learn mm-hmm. improv, I guess in Chicago, uh, maybe in a weird way, he did influence them or they took things from Keith and adopted them. But, you know, people take improv and then sort of shape it and uh, make it work for uh, their teaching of how they want to teach improv, you know. But I think Keith is very, uh, I like Keith because it seemed to, um, you, he taught in Europe and he taught in Canada. and uh, I feel like his travels better in some ways. It's not so uh, connected to North America or, or how to be successful or uh, he just taught you ways to be uh, um, like a playful improviser, you know, and to be just, why not just go on stage and fail? There's that that sentiment that we talk about all the time on the show about like Canadians and why they're so funny and why there's so many, you know, writers like you and writers rooms across Hollywood and across across the US. And a lot of it is that British influence and that American influence, kind of a melting pot of 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 Canada. And you I know you said in, in an interview before that Monty Python was a big kind of influence for you and all these other like Canadian shows. So it's kind of the mix. Right. And Keith was from the UK originally. Yeah. So. Uh, that was also kind of cool too that he was from uh, England you know uh, so um, that was just a, a neat bonus but I mean yeah growing up it was all um, English television and American sitcoms and um, and just having those two and you know we didn't have a very as you know we didn't have a very big sort of sitcom uh, system here in Canada um, Corner Gas probably being the biggest and then you know Schitt's Creek it's now I think developing more now, but um, back then it was um, sitcoms weren't very big, and we could you could easily just watch, you know, Faulty Towers and mm-hmm. uh, and, and um, uh, Mary Tyler Moore. You know, I grew up on those shows. You know, and I I found them to be have a, like a big influence on how I wrote. We still never have had that like with the audience, like in front of a live studio audience sitcom that I can. Think no, of, I right, think in Dave did one for a while. I can't remember the name of it now. Mm. Yeah, the name, but Dave Foley did one. And I think it lasted two seasons. Right. But yeah, yeah. I um, Mosquito Lake. I remember going to a taping of that because I had a friend, Dan Ak- uh, Dan Aykroyd, um, Dan Redican, okay. um, was had a guest spot on it, so I went to watch watch it. And uh, his wife Carol, I think, produced it and was a writer on it. Was so the I, king? King of Kensington, did that one, was that one? In front yeah, of? I remember watching that as a yeah. kid as yeah. well. Um, but I I sort of gravitated towards the American ones. You know, it was all in the yeah. family and um, and uh, for sure, Faulty Towers, I love. You kind of have this, I was looking up that Kids in the Hall, you were nominated for an Emmy three years in a row and it was on three different networks, which is kind of funny. I don't know if that's ever happened. Like it was on HBO, it was on CBS and it was on CBC yeah. um, here in Canada. So that was kind of a fun, funny stat I, I, I saw. Um, and now Kids in the Hall coming to Amazon 
And and you're involved in that show? Yeah, I did. Uh, I wrote on it for a month. I was asked to um, show run it, but I couldn't do it because I was working on another show at the time. Mm-hmm. But I had a, a month off so I could just write on the show. So it was fun just to reconnect and write sketches again. And uh, But it was during the beginning of um, COVID. So uh, we were all meeting on Zoom like we are right. now. Yeah. And, um, and so that was uh, odd. It was you couldn't really connect, connect because everybody wasn't sure what was going on. And I think at that time I was walking in and out of stores without wearing a mask, not knowing I had to. And, you know, it was all, I think I flew on a plane, not wearing yeah. a mask. Yeah, like yeah. I, I, you know, and then they, Early they told you, yeah, not to wear masks and then to wear masks. And then and now I wear a mask all the time. But um, back then it was like just chaos. No one knew what was going on. That's funny because that's just it tells me how long it takes to make a TV show because well it got shut down because of COVID. Okay, right? they, okay, so there's yeah, something, they, yeah, yeah. It was like not this past March, but the March before we were writing, and then they were supposed to shoot, and then uh, another wave happened, and then they shut it down, right. and then shot the next year. Yeah, I was gonna say because th- I'm going to the press junket I think next month right. for the show when it comes out. So I was like, man, it feels like. I mean, I feel like my whole life has been COVID now. I forget I life. I forget life pre-COVID. Actually, the mask mandate got lifted here in Ontario yesterday was the first day. No mask. I walked into the bank. I'm like, I'm gonna try it. Felt so weird. Didn't even feel. Yeah, I was feel just right. in Calgary, and I um, uh, we took my to visit my mother, and my brother, and we took her to to church, and because she hadn't gone in a long time, and we walked in wearing masks, and then asked. Do we need to wear them? They said, no, you don't have to wear them, but I wore mine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, especially when you're traveling. So yeah. if you're out of town, you don't want to bring it yeah. you know, to another town. Patient, you don't want to be patient zero. No, I don't want to be um, that guy. <laughs> uh, can you give us any, like, is it the same cast coming back for Kids in the Hall? Yeah, it's all the original all the, guys. All, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. I, I noticed all your kind of credits are television. Is there been any, you, I guess you've worked on a couple movie stuff, but is there been any plans to like jump to movies or is that, or are you just really like writing, writing for TV? Well, I think in the beginning I might've wanted to write for movies or write an independent film or something. And I did, I, I wrote an independent film that was a writing sample that I ended up helping me get my King of the Hill job. Okay. So Greg Daniels had to read that. And I worked on brain candy with the guys. Right. So, yeah. Um, and then we just thought for sure we'd be writing films after that, you know, one one a year, and, <laughs> and then the you know it the, it didn't become a hit, so uh, you know everybody was scrambling just to find work after that. <laughs> it's funny on the Wikipedia page for Kids in the Hall now it says uh, whatever 1980 to present, like it's like it used to say 1980 to you know, but now it's to present, which kind yeah. of, <laughs> it, it, you know how it's got changed. My absolute favorite show of yours that you worked on is Parks and Rec. Those characters were just so unique and they were all, um, I, I don't know how to say this, but very much they were in their lane. You knew those characters and what they were. How much fun was it to write for those characters? Well, we, you know, that's, I mean, I've been pretty lucky in that I've, you know, the kids in the hall uh, were very funny guys. So to write mm-hmm. f- with four funny people with funny people is great. And then to have another cast that was like that, I, I, um, I thought the Parks and Rec uh, rec cast was so good and amy poehler is one of the best improvisers ever and she's a really great writer and she's now a director and producer so you know you're just working with very talented people it was such a 
a bunch of heavy hitters in terms of comedy on that cast, you know, and Chris Pratt and, you know, Aziz and, um, you know, it was just full of great people, you know, Nick Offerman. It's, oh my God. You know, it was, it was just a pleasure to be on set every day. Yeah. When are, when are we getting a Ron Swanson spinoff? I think well, that would something... be awesome, but you know, Nick Offerman loves trying different things. So I don't know. Yeah. He's uh, uh, one of the best characters ever. I, I go on YouTube often and watch just the, the clips of Ron Swanson where it's, you know, the best of Ron Swanson food moments. Or, yeah, yeah or he's the best. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Norm, for, for coming on. I, I really uh, I really appreciate your time and, and good luck with, with kind of everything. And uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of yours and, and all, your, all your TV shows. So thanks. I really appreciate it. Oh, uh, thank you for having me on. It was great. Many thanks to Norm Hiscock. Awesome guy. Great talking to him. He was out there in in BC. Uh, and look for that Kids in the Hall reunion that Norm worked on. Very cool. I think it's coming to Amazon next month. So that'll be very exciting. So the Loose Moose episode rolls on here as we uh, highlight Keith uh, Johnstone in particular, who is nominated this year for the Canadian Comedy Hall of Fame. And we roll right along with Andrew Fung. Andrew, of course, is an absolute star on the rise here in Canada. His show, Run the Burbs, just got picked up for season number two on CBC. It's hilarious. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Of course, he was on Kim's Convenience. Uh, he's also was on Last One Laughing, which is popular with listeners of this show. Um, so we talk a little bit about Last One Laughing and that, what that was like. Uh, we had a lot of fun. We're also both pro wrestling guys. So we get into that right off the hop here in the interview. So I hope you enjoy. Here it is. My interview with Andrew Fung on the Canadian Comedy Hall of Fame podcast. Yeah. It's so wild because I, I assume you and I are around the same age. And like, yeah. when you think back to like that era, you know, Chocolair, Cardinal, Baby mm-hmm. Sound Crew, like these, these people were like... Um, pioneers for 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 urban culture in this country and then when you see them like so chill now living in the burbs walking their dogs soccer yeah. with their kids it's, it's wild to see you know it, it's funny because um i mean we're getting off topic but your first episode of run the burbs really showed that with cardinal right that he's just like oh i'm just a guy chilling in the burbs yeah and, yeah and he really is like we were shooting we were shooting in hamilton and we were in this lovely backyard and the backyard had this like they had converted like um they had built like a, a separate house in the yard right and Carnell's looking around he's like damn this is nice i live here it's like <laughs> it's just at the end of the day i saw i watched this i was watching this clip from american pie 2 came up on my youtube the other day and i was watching it and then the comment said I remember watching the scene and thinking like, I'm Jim and the world is everything. And I sit here now and I'm just Jim's dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. and Eugene Levy, great Canadian comedian too. So, oh um, yeah. I would say he reinvented himself from Jim's dad. Like it's oh actually God, seeing Jim's dad, seeing a scene of Jim's dad. I was like, whoa, Eugene Levy like really changed. Yeah. A, a lot of, uh, I was, I did an SCTV episode like a few episodes ago and a lot of those sctv guys have completely reinvented themselves recently which is you know like martin shorts everywhere again Catherine o'hara yeah Yeah, it's super cool to see i'm a big pro wrestling guy huge pro wrestling guy yeah like 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 you um Mm -hmm. so what are the best comedy pro wrestling acts of all time like guys that brought in the comedy element into their pro wrestling uh well i think like well so there's 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 wrestlers that were funny and so i think you could say like christian and edge 
were very funny. Chris Jericho had some had some really nice moments. Uh, Kurt Angle, just like and and the the common denominator with all four of those people was like they were so willing to um, make fun of themselves. They were so willing to be a part of the comedy. Um, but that's that's wrestlers who are funny. If you're looking for a comedic wrestling act, because yeah. those are very different things. That you're true. Uh, that's true. Yeah. Santino Morella is is okay. is and and I, maybe I'm biased because I did an improv show with him maybe like four years ago and mm-hmm. um he was so nice and he was so easygoing and he yeah he's 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 really solid as well so but like yeah comedy and wrestling go hand in hand but those are two different two different topics there's wrestlers that were funny and there's comedic com- comedy relief acts and so those are different things Santino's actually coming on the show next week, which is oh he I'm is super excited about because that's like when I'm thinking about doing the comedy hall of fame and I'm thinking about doing the show because it's not it's not just stand-up. Like I don't just want stand-ups, I don't just want sketch, you know what I mean? It's so many yeah. different things. And every wrestling show I've ever been to has that element of comedy. So I was like, why not? I mean, he's one of the best to do it. So he is one of the best, and it's it's wild because like once again, he's got his daughter just um, started doing uh, training in WWE developmental, yeah, and that's awesome to see. And 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 um, but it was funny. We when I was doing this improv show, he he came backstage and he's like, Andrew, and he's so excited to see me. He's like, so help me out. How do I get on Kim's convenience? Like he was trying to get on the show, and I was like, yeah. oh, I said, you know, I don't know. I can't help you, man. I, I don't know what to do. I'm just, I'm a little piece of that machine, you know? Yeah. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. He really was trying to get onto it. I love his, I love his story is how he, how he started in Italy and he had to like, yeah, sure. I can do an Italian accent. Like I can do all <laughs> these accents and everything. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's quite the actor too, to be able to like pull that for so, so long. Like, yeah. Impressive. Um, to get over the, the the cobra was it the cobra or was it the python was the cobra no the cobra the cobra the cobra, the cobra. Yeah. to get that over in a way like because it wasn't just like he had a cobra he had a whole routine with it and he did a thing yeah. with the arm and i just think that like that's a commitment to a physical bit and yeah. it, in a time where wrestlers um take you know can take themselves too seriously he he was willing to make that his thing and i think that's why he's so beloved and i i think that like I every time he comes on to like you know an, an anniversary show or something like that, the crowd pops for him. Oh, and yeah, I think absolutely. there's there's a bond there made with an audience. I did an episode. I went to the actually the press junket for uh, last one last one laughing, and I talked to Deborah and I talked to Brandon, um, and I asked them the question: If there was a season two of Last One Laughing, who would you put on it? Uh, John Doerr's name came up, so I, I posed the question to you: Season two, Last One Laughing. By the way, incredible show. So Thank funny. You. I loved it. Yeah. Who 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 would you like to see on season two? Uh Brittle Star is 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 an internet personality that I think is like low-key one of the funniest voices out right now. Um John Dord's a good one. Um uh Dave Merhej is someone I, I I thought was gonna be a part of season one. Um I actually would like to see uh paul sun young lee in the house i just oh, think that yeah paul is so so funny in, in like a in a conversational you know day-to-day um yeah i think th- those would be some name mark critch 
Um, okay. yeah. Trent McClellan. Trent McClellan and I go back to Calgary Roots and we were both working in the nonprofit sector and I think he's so, so funny. Um, I, 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 I do think the tall boys as one entity, like as one superpower, like one team up. A faction. A faction. Oh, I'm a lover of factions. <laughs> so yeah, they, 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 any of the tall boys would be really great. And I think that's, I think what's important is that you, you really round out the cast with like, it's like season one worked because it was such a great mix of people. Yeah. And at the core was, everyone was so different, but at the core was this Canadian niceness that like made the show just lovely to watch. Mm-hmm. It's a, I, I was pumping it up to all my friends and a lot of them watched the Australian one as well. Once they really got into the Canadian one, they're like, oh man, the Canadian one was way different. It was a way different show. It did have that. It had that classic Canadiana part of it. Um, everybody was like, even, you know, some people got a raw end of the deal. I'm not going to say who, yeah. you know, <laughs> in the show when they got eliminated, but they still were like, eh, you know, that's how it goes. Like kind of thing. So, um, oh, there's no, a take yeah. where Brad and I, cause a ruckus oh i, I mean yeah. my, i watched it with my family so it was my whole my whole yeah. family were, were, were there watching it which was which was great because it like it it my daughter could get into it you know and, and my dad could get into it um but yeah when 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 that happened a ruckus was being being had in my in my household so but um, I, I will say uh you know the eventual winner the eventual runner-up and winner legends oh, yeah. and i am so thankful to have been a part of it because you know i'm a kid who's got his started doing improv you know and mm-hmm. his roots are doing improv and, and for every friday and saturday playing in church basements and the idea that i could go toe-to-toe with the great ones was uh is pretty wild yeah you must have been so jacked up when you saw when you came into that room and saw the names in there you must have been so excited yeah because we didn't know anyone anyone in the house so as people yeah. were coming in i was like and, and I said, when Tom Green showed up, it felt like Undertaker coming back at, 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 at WrestleMania. <laughs> yeah, that's and so true. It's true. It's like, oh, they got a dead man. They got dead yeah. man Tom Green back. Yeah. Um, but uh, honestly, like, I was so excited, but also just, like, a bit scared, you know? Like, yeah. yeah. Like, these are pretty caliber people. I was already a bit nervous playing this game because the game itself is so hard. I love to laugh. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a full circle moment for a lot of people. Like I had opened for Caroline Ray for 40 shows. Right. So like, that was really cool. And, and yeah. Um, yes, all those people. So yeah, it was, it was fantastic. Uh, Brandon told me, I think it was Brandon. Yeah. Brandon told me that when Tom Green uh, came, came into the, the set, he went, Oh shit, it's Keanu Reeves. In his head, he thought it was Keanu. <laughs> That's something Brandon would say. Brandon. <laughs> Yeah, and, and last and last night Brandon uh, was we, there was like there was, he posted something on Instagram and, and someone's like I really wish you and Andrew just one of you just come cosied one of yourselves to save the other. And yeah, that, yeah. I, I thought of that in the moment. I'm like, yeah, why didn't you pitch that? I would have totally done that. Like, right? These two, these two young bucks, just like, yeah. come on, man, we 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 can't, we, we both can't win, but we can help the other. You said, yeah, I never thought of that, but yeah, no, that makes sense to me. Um, yeah. Okay. The 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 loose moose. The reason why we're here. The loose but is that where is that where it all started for you? Like that was kind of you went there in high school, right? You're Calgary, Calgary born and, and raised. Calgary born and raised. Um, you know, I, I think like a lot of high school teenagers, we I got my start doing like silly improv games and drama class. Mm-hmm. Got really into it, and my drama teacher um, 
saved up some money and brought in an instructor from the Loose Moose Theater to come work with us for a week. And then after the week, there was a, a group of us. And we were just all so interested in, in, in it. We were starting an improv team and there's a theater sports tournament coming up. And that's a really big deal in, in the city of Calgary. So we all joined the Loose Moose Theater, started going down every Friday and Saturday. And the really cool thing is Loose Moose Theater trains you for free. Um, as oh, long wow. as you're a volunteer, they train you for free. I remember there was like six, six or seven of us that showed up and we were all Asian. And they call this the Asian invasion. They never seen so much diversity show up with the loose moose before because the truth is improv is a very white space and like right. seven kids of color show up like ready to do improv, <laughs> you know, and, and the really cool thing is like what I always go, what I always go back to is like, there was no barrier to entry. And we talk a lot about inclusion and it's like, I'm like, it's really important that like whatever art form you have reduces the barrier to entry because if there are barriers for any of us, we probably wouldn't have kept coming. We wouldn't have been able to pay for classes. And the fact that it was free allowed us to come. And if you look at it, like out of those seven kids, like five of us are in creative careers, either right. as like marketing directors, actors, um, uh, uh, public speakers, like, like we're all doing something creative. And I think it, it all goes back to Loose Moose Theater. Putting the show together, uh, like I talked to Norm Hiscock the other day. You know, I wish, I wish it's to me. I, I grew up in this town. I wish every town had a loose moose or 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 something like that because it does sound like that inclusive environment. You know what you said about being able to do it for free. Um, you know, when you volunteer there, that's just an amazing thing. Uh, every town should have a space like this for kids, for high school kids, right? Yeah, because I think a lot of theater companies, like, they have to monetize classes because mm-hmm. theaters have such few revenue streams. Mm-hmm. Um, but Loose Moose went the other way, and uh, they they made it so easy and fun to be a part of. And because you're volunteering, you gain all these behind-the-scenes skills. So it's like, not only were we trying to train as performers, but there was, like, a group training solely as technicians, like lights sound there were some that only trained as directors and i will say that it's all the years at loose moose it wasn't just the training as a performer it was the training of how to produce a show that made me who i am you know it made right. me better to, be, to know how to hustle and grind a show how to yeah. make posters how to how to market it yeah um yeah at, at every generation like i've only met norm maybe once and i'd only met Bruce McCullough once like mm-hmm. you meet previous generations one time but there's a bond that yeah. is there forever once you're a mooser always a mooser you said once that uh what Keith had taught you changed your life can you expand on that like how so Keith Johnson obviously he's he's the one who's nominated uh this year for the, for the hall of fame so um how did Keith change your life I I, 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 I believe I'm like the last generation that Keith taught one-on-one on a regular basis. Cause by this time it was early two thousands. Keith was, uh, you know, getting a bit older. He had transitioned out of the artistic director role and he was now teaching classes just like on a semi-regular basis, he'd come in. Um, and so I have, I have the privilege of having had like a year where Keith was involved in my training and like, he just kind of went against everything I thought improv was like, all those expectations you put on yourself, he removed. All those ideas of being funny, he didn't want us to be funny. All those uh, pushes from ourselves to um, be wacky and big, he didn't want. He wanted us to fail. He wanted us to be 
um, average on stage. And that's like, that's like a really big part of Keith's training. And it's so odd saying it because it's like, it's weird saying, I'll just be average, but that's what he wanted. He felt like the best improviser average, average, obvious and would fail. I will say this, there's, there's a funny anecdote. I was not a good improviser when I started. Like I'm, I'm, a, I'm, 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 like, you'd look at me and be like, he is not the most talented person in that group of seven kids. He's probably the least talented in that group. Mm-hmm. But what I am is I'm really dedicated. Like I will outwork you any day of the week. So I joined in like 2001, 2002. Keith taught me. Then Keith went away and toured the world teaching and he really stepped back. And then in 2011 or 12, it was the Loose Moose Theater's 35th anniversary. And we were putting on these big shows. Um, you know, Levi McDougall was there. It was like, it was amazing. All these people come back. We got Keith to come out and direct the maestro, and which was one of the formats he created. And uh, after the show, he told Steve Jaron, who's a, 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 an amazing improviser with masks, he's like, who's that? Who's that Andrew guy? And Steve's like, wait, you don't remember Andrew? Andrew started in 2001 and it was explaining I was all those kids. And Keith thought, he looked at Steve and said, I'm surprised he stuck around. <laughs> Keith was a surprise because I wasn't very good. Like I just didn't, I, yeah. I just didn't have the knack for it. Like I really struggled with it. But I think it's because what he taught me, what Dennis Cahill taught me, what Lucius taught me went against, against my entire being as like an, a, 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 as, a, as a performer. And it really rewired me. They rewired me as a performer. And so now all my instincts and, and skills are, are things I didn't have when I was at that age. I had to right. learn them and it, it, became, it became second nature to me. When you're on the set of Run the Burbs or, or King Convenience or all these these other awesome shows that you do, how much are you still using those techniques from Keith and the Loose Moose? Does that is that an every day, every scene thing? Every day, every scene in in, in a couple of ways. One um, is being grounded and being in the moment, and that's something I've always struggled with. And so I, I find that I'm at my best in, in any show when I'm grounded in the moment and I'm just like listening to my partner, being there, feeling the world, looking at the space, looking at the area surrounding me to inspire me. And then two, it was like constantly being inspired. I find that like Loose Moose Theater and my training from Keith always um, encouraged me or taught me that when I walk into a space, be, be inspired by everything around you. So it's like how I walk into a space, whether there's a cup on the counter, is there a stool here? What, my, what is my partner doing? Constantly being inspired and like moving with that rhythm. And mm-hmm. so it's everything I do. And you really saw it with LOL because it's like an un... Uh, an unfiltered version of Andrew walking into a house and just constantly being inspired by others. But yeah, with Run the Burbs, it's always like that. And with Kim's, um, it it helped manage his nerves because with Kim's convenience, especially, it was so new and I I was just so nervous. It really ground, it helped ground me as a person. The uh, I'm a, I'm a little baby thing on LOL just absolutely killed me. It was, uh, it was the funniest. Thank you for mentioning that because funny note, I got, when, when that episode aired, it was really nice. You know, people are loving the show. I got tagged by like a comedy reviewer, someone who 
she is i think she's a stand-up but she also a comedy reviewer and i have nothing against her work like i'm right. happy that it exists but it was really it kind of hurt me because she tagged me and she's like she it was a clip of me making the baby voice it was like andrew funk should be ashamed of himself for stooping to this level as a star on the rise i expect better from him and her opinion is fair i get it you know not everyone likes the baby voice but then the amount of people that have come up to me or messaged me saying that baby voice was yeah. incredible. It was and incredible. I I never feel like I have to defend myself, but I I I, I you know I, when when people criticize me, I always walk away and I'm like, okay, what is the criticism? What can I learn from it? And I get and for some that baby voice doesn't work. But what I'm reminded is this: in that moment, Tom and Colin weren't going out of that house. I was desperate. Yeah, my comedy clip was unloaded. So I was trying anything. And what I'm always reminded with, with improv comedy, be willing to fail, mm -hmm. be willing to make offers. And sometimes, a lot of times they fail. And so um, disappointment for others. But for me, it was a reminder of what got me here in the first place was trying. And what doesn't work for others works for others. And I, the amount of people that message me been like, I turn to my spouse and say, I'm just a little baby <laughs> uh, on a regular basis now. And it actually came from Kim's Convenience because that's something that Nicole Power and Michael Musi would always do to one another and I would hop in, but they were just, they would just do it so much. And yeah, uh, yeah come on, we're just all little babies trying to make it in the world. Northeast, the show. There yeah. <laughs> uh, that was uh, a show that you did at, at Loose Moose. Uh, what makes Northeast Calgary so unique and special? Um, I've only been to Calgary a few times. I didn't know um, until I was reading interviews with you about this, this Northeast part of Calgary and that you ended up doing an improv show about. Yeah. It, Northeast Calgary is like, it's like the perfect blend of all these different cultures because it's the most culturally diverse quadrant in the city. And I would, you know, for me, it's like it, probably like in the country, it's so culturally mm -hmm. diverse. And I just think that there's like, we're a bit, there's a bit of like, there's a mix of like cultures, but then also characters, like really clear characters. And also like, you know, because of the nature of, 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 of the income disparity, there's a bit of some sketchy characters I grew up with and and they're hilarious so it's like playing up to all those things that bond uh, like that bond us together because when you're like when you grow up uh poor you know there's things that bond you and 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 when you grow up uh in a cultural with a cultural background once again there's things that bond you and then there's this there's like references like for the neighborhood so i think that it's a perfect mix of all these things and you could pull on them and they it's just relatable to everybody i think the northeast is very relatable and that was my first big hit improv show and that was we um we sold that show on a, as a joke we're like ah oh, wouldn't it be great if we did a northeast <laughs> show one day we're like all right let's do it sold it out in a day in a That's day awesome. we sold that show out and like to that was like my first big success in improv and 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 believing i could i could create my own show and from there i was able to create other shows right but yeah the northeast is a very funny place and no matter where you are it's like same with loose moose i'll bring up northeast which is where the loose moose originally was loose moose was originally in the northeast of calgary okay then right. it like bonds you and now you've created run the burbs which has been renewed for for season two so you know it's a, it's a hilarious show on cbc 
Um, thanks a lot, Andrew, for, for, for coming on and talking with me about Canadian comedy and the loose moose and congrats on all your success. Like your star is, is definitely just blown up in the, in the last few years. And, uh, yeah, no, I, you're a great guy and, and th- thanks, thanks for coming on and congrats again what, on all the success. I gotta say what I really appreciate is you did your research. Like you, 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 you know, some knowledge and it's, 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 it's so nice. Like looking at this list of nominees, and 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 uh, is that it is it is such a who's who and it's not even like i could come up with three or four lists nomination lists yeah and this country is so um so rich in comedic talent and what i love about a lot of these people who i've met over the years is everyone's so kind and we talked about the cast of lol and how there's this canadian kindness it extends beyond that room. It is it is part of our industry where we are kind of always just supporting one another. I, you know, Michael mm-hmm. J. Fox on list. I'm white hatted Michael J. Fox, uh, and that's a that's a that's a very Alberta thing, like Calgary thing. You white hat uh, a guest to the city, and I was interviewing the cast of Back to the Future for okay the 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 Calgary Comic Expo, my all time favorite movie by the way. All-time. Oh yeah, and I got to do it twice. Because the first year Michael was unavailable, the second year he showed up, and when I white hatted, you know, uh, Michael J. Fox, he was so kind and he was so kind in the interview, and and it's just a reminder, like, no matter where you're from, no matter how big you get, you still make time for like fellow Canadians who are trying mm-hmm. to do the job you had, like trying to do yeah. your thing. You always make time for them, and that that humbleness, I think, is something that's so such us and i love seeing this list and i can't wait for more and this group and these lists of these lists of performers and creators and, and like legacy people are are it's so well deserved and so i i'm so thankful and appreciative that we are i'm seeing you in this organization recognize these people because sometimes we don't take time to toot our own horn of, of how amazing we are that that's one thing it's hard for us to do for Canadians, right? To take a moment and say, "Well, look at us. Look at how good we're doing. Look at it." So this is this is our way to do it to do it for them, right? To say, "You guys, you know, amazing legends to Canadian comedy." So, uh, thanks again, Andrew. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, Chad. Before I say my thank yous and my goodbyes, uh, I'm gonna, I got some bonus content for you, which is always good. Who doesn't want more of the Canadian Comedy Hall of Fame podcast with yours truly, Chad Noonan? Uh, me and Andrew kept ch- chatting for like another 15, 20 minutes after we got off the air. And he had some really good stories about Bob Odenkirk and the Loose Moose. So I asked him, can I throw this up? He said, sure, absolutely. He's the nicest guy in the world. So here it is, bonus content on the podcast for you. Years ago, I get an email from someone at Second City in Toronto, like, hey, I got, a, I got someone who's interested in coming up with losers. Can I afford them to? Like, yeah, of course. The person is Bob Odenkirk. <laughs> and I was like, okay, okay. So Bob Odenkirk emails yeah. me from like a regular email address he clearly yeah, made. Gmail. Like, yeah, yeah, Gmail or something like that. He's like, hey, I want to come down to Loose Moose. I'm like, yeah, man, let me set aside some tickets. You'll come down. You know, next week, I'm, I'm, I'm backstage getting the show ready. And someone's like, hey, uh, there's uh, someone here to see you, Andrew. I come out, it's Bob Odenkirk sitting on the bench in the largest winter coat I've ever seen in my life. Like, like it was, you know, Calgary he's in Toronto? winter. No, he's in Calgary. Oh, he's in Calgary. So yeah. He's in Calgary he's filming uh, Fargo. And he wants to come down to Loose Moose. He's wearing the largest winter coat I've ever seen. And I was like, Bob, how are you? And he's like, good, Andrew. And I'm like, "Get it? you got here okay? He's like, yeah, I took the bus. Bob Odenkirk took the bus 
in Calgary to Lucifer's Theater. We're in this industrial park now, you know? Yeah. And he's like, Lucifer's Theater. That's so familiar, Andrew. And I was like, yeah, Keith Johnstone. And he's like, Keith Johnstone. Bob tells me that in his early days of comedy, he would carry around impro for storytellers in his bag because that was such a, a big book for him. Yeah. And then I stopped and I'm like, yeah, Keith's still, Keith's still alive. He's still around. Bob's like, what? Keith's still a- around? And, and so Bob stayed for the show. He stayed for my late night show, my late night improv show. Cause I did a two hander every night at 10 30. He stayed for that, loved it. And then Bob's at the end, he's like, Andrew, like uh, which bus do I take to get home? And I said, Bob, it's, it's 1130. Someone will give you a ride home. <laughs> like, like, don't yeah. worry. He's the nicest guy in the world. And uh, I later on, um, uh, uh, Dave Lawrence of, of, of FUBAR fame, uh, yep. I set him and, 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 and Bob up and Dave set up lunch with Keith and Bob. And that was, you know, like, you got to look at his, Keith's reach and span is worldwide. You know, mm-hmm. and this first a performer like Bob Odenkirk is like universally known as like an amazing comedic and dramatic performer, like looks yeah. up to Keith. Uh, one fun story is that from that meeting, I heard I was like, how to go to David? Dave's like, I think Keith was just fucking with Bob. <laughs> like Keith was just playing with mind games with Bob during during their lunch. And I'm like, that's so Keith. Keith's always just trying to fuck with you. Just trying to do things with you because he wants to see your reactions, right? And Keith's always like looking for like honest and genuine reactions. So um, it's 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 cool. It's cool to see and to hear when like people who are just amazing look up to Keith and, you know, like are able to make these connections. But yeah, that, that, was, a, that was a really fun story. Uh, that's yeah. not the first time Bob Odenkirk, he must have a connection to Canada because he's been brought up on this podcast before. I think, I think, yeah. I think Bob Odenkirk has the nature of a Canadian, the spirit yeah, he does. of a Canadian. <laughs> I just watched his Howard Stern interview the other day. Yeah. He was on, he's on Stern last week and uh, yeah, he does have that, that nature. <laughs> yeah. I do this thing sometimes with American comedians where I say Canadian or American, you have to tell me who's who. And, you know, I'll throw like Will Arnett or Jason Bateman. And everybody's like, Jason Bateman, man, he could be a Canadian. You know, they have, there's a certain like, yeah. we're so much the same as Americans, but there is this like sentiment to a Canadian, you know, that makes us yeah connect. So, yeah. I, I think it's the ego. It's like the lack of ego and yeah. the, the silliness. Yeah. Jason is Jason Bateman not Canadian. <laughs> no, he's not Canadian. I See, I growing like growing, until like recently within the f- past four or five years, I always assumed he was Canadian. Yeah. I assumed he was like, I had this like Mandela effect where I thought he was like from Vancouver. Yeah. But he's not like, Canadian. He's not. No, no. Isn't that funny? It's, it's very, it's very funny. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. There's a thing about them where you think they're Canadian. That's pretty funny. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, him and Bob Odenkirk, if there was a, if there was a new hall in the Canadian hall of fame, it was like, could have been Canadian. They would be two nominees. Yeah. Yeah. It could have been Canadian. Yeah. There's probably more, but yeah, those two for sure. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, That's pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That was a super fun episode. I had a blast and that Bob Odenkirk story. Amazing. Thank you again to Andrew. Thank you again to Norm. Don't forget, you can check out all of Norm's amazing TV shows, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Parks and Rec, King of the Hill. They're streaming everywhere. Absolute Canadian comedy writing legend. And Andrew Fung, Run the Burbs is on CBC right now. It is so funny. It is so good. 
just picked up for season two. If you haven't seen it, see it. And of course, last one laughing. He was awesome in that show. He made a big run for the finals. I'm not going to give it away, but uh, he was really, really impressive. Thanks again to everybody uh, who supported the Canadian Comedy Hall of Fame this month. As we head into April and the voting begins, don't forget, if you want to become a voter, all you have to do, CanadianComedyHall.com. The full list of nominees are on our website. Check us out on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, absolutely everywhere. We're all over social media. More exciting episodes coming up, highlighting the nominees, so stay tuned for that. For the Canadian Comedy Hall of Fame podcast, I'm Chad Noonan.